You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. What's up, Resonate? Good to see you guys. Um, when I was in grad school, I was, I was forming a relationship. I was forming a friendship with, uh, with this dude that uh, I was getting to spend some time with. And, uh, and I remember one time I was like, hey, let's hang out. And he was like, oh, that sounds great. Um, I'll, uh, I'll come over to your, to your house and, uh, <laughs> and I'll bring ice cream and a movie. And I was like, okay, uh, that's, I was thinking we could go play basketball or something like that. But uh, Ice cream movie, that's great. So he comes over, and, uh, and the movie he brings, uh, he's like, this is one of my favorite movies. Um, and it was the movie, uh, this is a while back, so um, it was the movie Memento. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Memento, but, uh, but he's like, this is, this is going to be amazing. So he, he puts it on, and, uh, and I go through the first 20 minutes of this movie like, what is going on? This makes zero sense to me. And the reason it makes zero sense, if you've ever seen the movie Memento, it's because it's about a guy who basically has this memory problem and cannot figure out who he is. And uh, his memory only lasts for 15 minutes. And so this whole movie is this guy trying to figure out how to solve this mystery. I won't give away what the mystery is, but he's trying to solve a mystery with a memory that only lasts 15 minutes. And so he has all this stuff. Um, and, And I was... Uh, I was just like so confused by this guy who's trying to figure out by all these context clues in his life who he is and what what mystery he's trying to solve. And I thought this was fascinating as we get into this uh, series talking about spirituality because I think that same idea can sometimes begin to be applied to us when it comes to our identity. When we begin to think about this reality of uh, this, this, try, this struggle to figure out who we are and this struggle to figure out what our mission is. And the fact is it's kind of this over and over uh, factor for us to be able to say, what, it, what is it that, that I am and, and, and who is it that I'm trying to be? And, and this reality, this happens over and over and over. And you might think when we talk about this idea of, of asking the question, who are you? If I was to put that um, on the screen, if I was just to ask, who are you? And if you were to answer that question, what would you put in that blank? Would you put something like, I'm a, I'm a daughter, or I'm a son, or I'm a father, or I'm a mother, or anything like that, something that would be connected to a relationship? Or maybe you'd put in here some sort of a, uh, an occupation that you have. I'm a painter, I'm a teacher, I'm a business person, I'm a college student. Um, or maybe you could say something more like these unique skills that you have. Hey, I'm someone who loves this. I'm someone who's really into this. And it might be a collection of things that you find fascinating and you find enjoyable. But in this... Um, we would populate that in some way, and that would say a lot about you. Whatever it is that you would put into that would really express something that would be tied to who you are. And you might think, Keith, I don't have time to, to ask those esoteric questions about my identity and who I am and, and those kind of things. There's just, I got a lot of living to do. I've got, I'm trying to, in between those questions, to actually do stuff that, that actually does define who I am. And, and I would say that um, when we begin to kind of bypass this and be not, not really to think about this idea of who our identity is and who we are, it, at the beginning of things seems like it's, it's not a very important question. But I want you to get that underneath every decision that you make and every feeling that you feel, when you begin to unpack that and you begin to ask what's behind that and what's behind that and what's behind that, what you're going to do is you're eventually going to arrive at your 
identity. And, and your identity is that thing that fuels ultimately the decisions that you make, and it begins to help you to understand the, the feelings that you feel. And so all of these things that are, that are very front and center in your life are pointed back to something, and that is your belief in who you are and your clarity in who you are. And in this, I believe the driving force for most of our life, we might say we have our hands on the wheel, but what's navigating our lives is our identity. You know, if you're like me, sometimes you just put in the address and you don't know really where you're going. You're just saying, okay, I got to turn left in the next hundred feet or I got to turn right in a quarter mile. And, and you're not kind of cognizant of, of how you're getting there. You're just knowing what's the next step. And I want you to get that your identity is fueling that thing and that identity is going to be talking about that. And so as we talk about this um, in this series that we're talking about spirituality and asking the question, can rational, intelligent people have a foundational understanding of their lives that is based upon faith? And asking, can you be rational? Can you be intelligent to be able to have faith as the underlying, underpinning idea that organizes your entire life? And we are living in a world where it's dominated not by a faith construct, but by a non-faith or secular construct as the main thing that begins to say, this is how we make our decisions. This is how we understand the world. And so how is it that faith and what we would say a secular world, how does that merge together? And can you be a rational, intelligent person and also be a person of faith? And we're going to get into this. And so a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about this reality of, of beginning to have meaning and asking the question, to have meaning in our life, is it more rational to choose a secular understanding of that or a faith-based understanding of that? And, and that really points to this idea of freedom and that we are freedom worshipers and that freedom is the dominant theme that we begin to say, this is what this is all about. Today, I want to get into another theme that is, that is very closely tied to that. It's a theme that is so connected with our experience in life that it is almost invisible. In fact, I believe that um, as we process this, it is one of those things that, uh, that I really want to pull the curtain back on. And I want you to see the pervasive ideas in the culture that are powerfully um, communicated and yet are very invisible to you. There's a formation around what is going on in your life that is incredibly powerful and it's also almost invisible to you. And it's like you living in, uh, in the ocean as a fish and us beginning to say, let's talk about the water. And you're like, this is just the world I live in. But I want you to know the most dangerous influence in your life is the one that you don't see and the one that you don't know exists. And I want to be able to, to help us pull back and begin to understand this. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea of the difference between discovered and created meaning. And today we're going to talk about individuality and identity and understand the difference between created and discovered identity. And I want you to get this. As we look at this, um, I want us to understand how identity is formed, how your identity is actually formed. And every single one of you, this is relevant because your identity has been formed by something. And I want to tell you how it's been formed and help you to understand how you begin to live your life with an identity that you have and really understand how it's formed and begin to point to an alternative understanding of this. And as we get into this, I'm going to give you three options and be able to understand three ways that your identity is formed. It's formed outward, inward, or upward. You have to choose one 
one of the three. You can't use all of those things. It is one of those things that form the primary identity that you're doing. And I want to unpack these first two and then let the Bible unpack the last one. And so if you're expecting me to start by, by getting into Scripture and beginning to, to pull apart some, some Scripture at the very beginning, it's going to be a little bit different today. We need to do some work, and then we can figure out if the Bible can actually give us a rational, intelligent alternative. And so let's go back to that beginning question. What is your identity? And to understand this, we need to understand that your identity has two parts. Your identity has two parts to it. One is this. You have a sense of self. And your sense of self is this understanding, this, this durable um, kind of this, this sense that you carry with you into various different places that you go. This is something that doesn't change, and it's true of you day to day, and it's true of you in various circumstances and various relationships, and it's something that you is kind of portable and goes along with you. So this is your, your sense of self. Not only that is you have a sense of worth. And so you might have a knowledge of yourself, but you might not appreciate yourself. And so you might be able to say, I appreciate myself, but I don't really understand myself. And these would be the two dynamics that are at play for you to be able to have your identity. And so your identity is both your sense of self, and that's your understanding of who you are, and it's also your sense of worth, and that beginning to say, this is, this is why I matter, and this is what gives me a sense of um, really meaning and, uh, and value in this. This is how I appreciate who I am. So I want to, uh, for us to begin to, to talk about these different things as we begin to process both a sense of self and a sense of worth in these three different contexts. So let's start with the first one. The first one is this, is when we begin to look outward to be able to, to establish our sense of self, this is what we find in traditional cultures. Traditional cultures, what we begin to see is, uh, and by traditional, what I mean is ancient and non-Western cultures. Ancient and non-Western. This used to be the entire world in ancient days, but there was a shift that happened, and in Western context, you begin to see this shift, and now there's two different concurrent ideas that are being played out in terms of how we begin to understand our identity in our world today. But this traditional culture, um, where you begin to see, this is kind of this Eastern, Eastern way to be able to see this, is that you would be able to define yourself as both internal desires and external social roles and ties. So in this, if you ask people in these cultures who they are, their reply would most likely be connected to their role in their family or a tie to a tribe or a tie to a people. And that if they fulfill their duties and if they live up to their individual desires for self, or, or sorry, deny their individual desires for their self and, and lift up for the things for the good of the family or the community or their God, their identity is secure as a person of honor. And if they do not do that, if they become more self-focused, then they begin to live in this shame narrative. And underneath that, this is one of those things that is deeply fear-based. I don't want to live in a shame context, and I do want to live in an honor context. And to live in an honor context is to assume my role in the community or to assume my, my civic duty or my communal um, connectivity in this and to be able to do something that brings honor to the people around me. And so these, this group of people, um, they find their value, they find their worth, they find their identity, as, as it were, in the, in the eyes of the other, in the faces of the people around them. And as they begin to look out in the world, it begins to help them to understand who they are internally. Now, the other side of this is 
this reality of, uh, of this modern Western culture. And this modern Western culture is this connection not to outside, but to inside. And it's the connection to the self. And in this, this is where we are uh, ultimately in this modern secular understanding, is this discovery of ourself and expression of ourself. And so our modern identity formation is done the exact opposite way. This approach Um, is this expressive individualism. And instead of learning who we are as we put the needs of the community or family first, modern culture tells us that every person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should be expressed individually if it's going to be realized. And so in this, our Western culture believes that the discovery of our identity is separated from our situation. In fact, it's, it's, it's really the opposite of this. And when we begin to sing, how do you discover yourself? And that's the narrative of we've got to move out from our little city. We've got to move out and we've got to go and find ourselves. We've got to go and discover ourselves. And so there's this journey ensues. Because ultimately, the locus of identity comes not from that family. In fact, that's something to be escaped from, not to be able to clarify who we are. And in fact, we go, and as we go into escaping that, that context of those around us, we actually discover ourselves. And so that narrative is all over our movies. It's all over our pop culture to be able to say, this is how you find yourself. And so modern secularism teaches us that we can develop ourselves And we can discover ourselves by looking inward, by detaching, by leaving our families and communities and all the requirements so you can actually figure out who you are. And the cultural message is this. Don't try to get affirmation from others. Affirm yourself because you are doing what you want to do. Be who you want to be. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And as you begin to think about that and you begin to live that out, that is the definition of how you are to discover yourself. And that is the definition of really people who really have a strong identity in and of themselves. And so, again, traditional culture culture puts this, the narrative is saying the hero is the person who self-sacrifices. And in the modern secular's point of view that we're in in this context, The hero culture is the one who looks inward, finds who they are, and begins to express that outside of themselves. It completely reverses that. And and if you don't believe me, I I want to go to just a modern prophet, uh, someone who speaks, and as they speak, they they speak for a generation. Um, And and so here's here's what we were talking about. Um, It's Elsa. And here's what Elsa has to say. She says this, It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's Elsa. As the sage of our culture, it is time. Just listen to this one more time. It's time to see what I can do, right? I'm going to look inside myself to test the limits and break through. Sorry, I was about to like dance move. And I'm a, no right, again, no wrong. That's the postmodernism. That's the idea of no, there's no absolutes. There's no universals. You make your own rules. You create your own truth. No rules for me. I'm free. This is what Elsa says. 
I want you to understand, this is the face of a liar. <laughs> this is the face of a false teacher. You got to see this and you got to realize what she's saying to you, what she's saying to you is not true. It's not. And when you begin to see this and you begin to understand what's going on, and you begin to actually put this into play, you've got to understand that she is leading you to a path not of freedom, but of destruction. And I know that sounds crazy, but you're like, this is just what song, we sing these songs because it's just inherently true. Okay, so let's press into it. Let's figure out if Elsa's right. I mean, that's why we're here, right? That's why you came. Let's figure out what's going on. So let me, let me begin to press into this and, act, and ask this question. When we begin to look at how this works, and, and, and honestly, it's probably, this is the first time you've ever thought, huh, that's an interesting philosophy. You know, you, you probably heard that music and you're like, let's sing it, and you probably sung it in your shower or whatever, in your car, you know, when the, no one's looking. Um, and you never thought, that's a philosophy of life. There's something going on there. But it's true, and it's hidden, and it's almost invisible to you. So when you begin to find yourself not through self-giving, but expressing something deep, it begins to push you down to a place of being able to have identity formation that ultimately, I want to unpack this and help you to understand, ultimately, it causes your destruction, not your freedom. So let's talk about this. The problem with finding our identity in internal self-discovery are first this, that your desires are all over the place. Your desires are, are very contradictory. You have this desire, and, and, and this, you have this deep desire, but then you have this other desire. Maybe you have this desire to pursue this, this career, but then you also have this desire to pursue this relationship, and, and these two things can't be concurrent. You, you can't go and move to that place and be able to pursue this relationship. You can't make them both work. And so you have these conflicting things. You want, you want success and you want love, but the context that you're in doesn't define those as being able to, to have mutuality in them. You have all these things. And if you're to actually look at all of your different desires, you have more contradictory desires than you might realize. Not only do you have contradictory desires, you have evolving and changing desires. You have desires that you have that, that were in, in a season of your life that aren't in the next season. If you don't believe me, you're like, I've just been the same kind of person my whole life. I've just been who I am. This is just me. Remember middle school, you? Remember the things that you thought were awesome? Remember the desires that you had for your life? Remember what you wrote down? This is what I'm going to be. You know, it's unlikely that they're the same. And you might say, well, it's just that's the evolution of growing up. That's us being able to figure out who we are as we get older. Here's what I want, to, I want you to understand. You are in the midst of, some of you are in the place where you're, you're making the decisions of your life. When you begin to recognize and you begin to understand that you're making a decision and you got to go this way or that way. You got to take the, inter, the internship in this city or that city. You got to take the job in this city or that city. That means that all the 
the rest of the cities are off limits because you're choosing one. It means that there's a fork in the road. And if all of this is based upon you being able to say, I'm going to express my desire, I'm going to have an identity that's behind this decision, that's behind this feeling. If you begin to say, this is who I am and I'm going I'm to choose somebody who I want to spend the rest of my life around. But you begin to understand that if you just look at the expression of your desires and begin to say, this is what's going to be able to take. And I'm going to take and, and have decisions that are going to have all these ramifications for the rest of my life. I want you to get that there's going to be a place where you begin to see all of those things and it's going to have massive insecurity if you begin to understand and you begin to clarify that your identity and your decisions and your, um, your identity formation and who you are and your individualism is based upon a moving target, is based upon something that's going to shift and going to change. And so you begin to say, if really who I am is only found internal to me, and if that is the only compass point for me to be able to know what's right and what's wrong and how to be able to live my life and which decision to go where, how do you make a good decision? How do you understand what to, what to choose when you got to choose one way or the other? It puts us into a place of paralysis, and I see paralysis. If you're a college student, I, I see this, well, in a whole generation of paralysis. Why? Because we're looking at our desires, and we're finding our identity based upon our desires, and that's beginning to be our expressed freedoms, our expressed identity, and that's beginning to say, okay, this is what it looks like for me to make decisions based upon who I am and how do I express who I am when those things are changing. So it's, it's incoherent to be able to use the inward understanding of our desires to be able to form our community around. The other reality is this, is that we try to take and we try to validate ourselves from an inward position to be able to say, you don't, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, you do you. You begin to affirm yourself. And I want you to know that no one actually believes this. And when you begin to ask, ask, how does that actually work? The only people that can self-affirm are mentally unstable people. This is the only people that, it, because no one else can begin to say, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm a monster of a person, but I'm just gonna continue to be a monster because this is just, I don't have to have any other affirmation. No, you have to have more external affirmation than you realize. And so are you free when you begin to de design your identity around something you say is internal? It's not actually true. And instead, we find cheerleaders around us, and those cheerleaders affirm who we, who we want to be. I want you to understand that you need someone you respect to respect you. You need someone you admire to admire you. That's a fundamental need that you have, and you can't create an inward loop that just simply allows you to affirm who you are. And you can't just do you, and you can't just be someone who's like, I don't need, uh, you know, forget all the haters, forget all, that's not actually how you work. You can't do that. Because ultimately, it's not, it, you, you can't maintain an understanding of self with that. And, and in this when you begin to operate in the world, I want you to get that the cheerleaders are based upon a specific context. And those cheerleaders and those people around you have more of a position of influence in helping you to understand which desires to exercise and which desires to suppress than you could ever imagine. A guy named Tim Keller uh, just does a brilliant job with this, and he illustrates it in this way. He says this, suppose there's a 
uh, a man in uh, in 800, 800 AD um, that uh, is is an Anglo-Saxon warrior, right? And he has um, he has two fundamental um, impulses that he are both equally strong. One is the uh, this this impulse of aggression. When people show him disrespect, his natural response is to harm or kill them. He enjoys battle. He's in a shame and honor culture, and he will identify with that feeling. He will not have any shame or any regret over it. He says, "This is me. This is who I am. I will express that aggression." But he also has another impulse. And in his uh, heart, he sees same-sex attraction. And he wishes that weren't, weren't there. And he will look at that feeling and say, that's not me. That's not who I am. I will control and suppress that. And this is formed by this ident- uh, the, the, the culture that's around him. Let's, let's push this forward and now come forward today. There's a young man in Seattle that has the same two inward impulses, both equally strong, what will he say to himself? Will he look at the aggression and say, that's not who I am. I will go to therapy or some anger management program. And this is what he said, this is not, this is not who I am. But he'll look at his sexual desire, however, and conclude, that's me, that's who I am. Here's what you need to understand. Those, those social pressures around that push all of us to be able to say it's not just the expression of our, of our desires that form our identity, but it's the belief in the world around us about those desires that has some of them to express and some of them to suppress. And so if you think, I'm just free, I'm just doing what I, what I want to do, I want you to know that's not true. That there's still pressures around you that are more invisible than you can understand. But they're forming your identity and they're forming how you see yourself. And so you get a filter about which desires are appropriate and which desires are inappropriate. And those are formed by the world around you. And that is formed by how you are to see the world and what you think the world would say about this. And so it's not just about your feelings, but it's the belief that you have, and more specifically, the belief that your culture has about those feelings and about those impulses that ultimately make you decide whether you're going to express or suppress those things. So in this, culture is telling you what to believe about your desires. Culture is telling you what to believe about these things to express. Culture is invisibly manipulating your life to make you into a point where you express some things and suppress other things. I want you to get this is a difficult. You think that you're free, but you're being coerced by the dominant belief of the culture around you, okay? Let's put that aside. Let's go to this other part. And to be able to say, I want you to get that when you look at modern secularism and you begin to use that inward sense that is just around you everywhere and is just the normative way that I think you and I tend to have the belief around our our identity, I want you to know what this leads us to. That when we begin to have modern secularism as the underpinning inward formation of our identity, it puts a crushing weight of 
competitive achievement upon our shoulders. Now, you might say, I don't even understand that, Keith. All right, let me help you understand. In a traditional setting, our self-regard was rooted in our social roles, not on competitive achievement. And so here's the thing. You could be a faithful person to the social role that you have, and, and that was enough. It was enough for you to be able to understand. You were, it was sufficient for you to be a good father or a good mother or a good son or a good daughter. And that was sufficient for you to be able to say, I feel good about myself. And I have confidence in who I am. But today we believe in a meritocracy where it is an embarrassment to merely be faithful and not successful. Why? Because when we begin to look at our world, you have every opportunity to build out your own reality. And so if you're not successful, the weight is upon you. You've formed everything. You've formed your identity around this, and this puts an enormous amount of weight on your shoulders. This puts an enormous amount of weight in your life, and no wonder we struggle with with mental health and anxiety and worry because around this, you have this thing to live up to. You have to be successful in this world. There's no limits, right? Elsa has told you that you can break through. You can take and you you can create your own world, and as you listen to this thing, you're like, okay, The sky's the limit. There's nothing holding me back. And then you begin to live life and realize this is pretty difficult. And then you begin to have this enormous pressure that you have to decide how you look. You have to decide your style. You have to decide how you're going to promote yourself. And today we have the existence of personal brands. You have literally turned your identity into a commodity when you begin to say, this is just my personal brand. And we've commoditized identity. No wonder we're a mess of insecurity when we've commoditized our, ins- our identity. And so we have the social media that tells you this is the bar for who you should be. This is the bar for what it looks like for you to be successful. It tells you the standards of your social connectivity, of your beauty, of your possessions, of your adventure. This is how life should look like. And so you look at this and say, okay, that's the bar. And it has to be on me. I can't look at anything else because my inward reality, the expression of my desires is ultimately who I am. And the world tells you, you have everything that you need to achieve. You can be whatever you want to be. And the modern secularism pervasively whispers, you've got to find yourself. And when you do, it has to look like this. But what happens when you have all the freedoms, but your life doesn't look like It measures up to the bar. You can't look to anything else for validation because you validate you. All you have is yourself. If we're trying to be happy, this is not the way. But all around you, you live in a place where the invisible pressure is that this is the way that you should live. And it's making us miserable And ironically, what we're trying to do is separate from others. It's actually putting us into a place where we have to be dependent upon others, where we're dependent on outside validation and we're vulnerable to outside manipulation. It's these self-made identities upon which our performance and our achievement create a reality for us that is incredibly fragile. And so we have fragile identities because the powerful, pervasive identity formation is going on in your life as you move through culture. 
and it's invisible most of the time, but it's creating a fragile understanding of self, and it's creating a low understanding of your worth. And so in this, I want to give you another alternative. And I want you to understand that this is, this is something for you that is incredibly good news. That as we look at this outward understanding and inward understanding, there's a third way for us to see this. And here's what the Apostle Paul says to a church plant in, this, in the city, the major metropolitan city um, called Corinth. And he says this. He says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any other human or any other any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but it doesn't prove that I'm right. It is the Lord Himself who will examine me and decide. So I want you to get, do you see that when this begins to play itself out, you begin to see this is just this brilliant, this is written 2,000 years ago, and yet it brilliantly tells us just exactly what's going on in our heart. You begin to see it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any other human. So this is this idea of being able to see how this external thing, and he's saying if you are understanding yourself and your valid and your identity and what gives you worth and what gives you a sense of self by looking at other people, this is not going to go well for you. You're going to live in fear, and you're going to do, do the dance to get the hug in terms of being able to say, I'm going to do this and so that I can begin to be a person of honor and avoid shame. But what if you're not that and you live in a modern culture and you begin to say, okay, the alternative seemingly is to distance ourselves from other people and then ultimately just trust ourselves. And here's what Paul says. I don't even trust my own judgment. He's saying this, that I know that if I begin to put the loop of internal validation upon me, that is not going to be something that allows me to have trust. This is going to bring me to a better way of life. And he says this, it is the Lord it is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. And this seems to our ears as in, in this modern world like, why would I ever let some other authority define who I am? But I want you to understand this is the very path to freedom. This is the very way that we begin to see this, that we begin to understand how to live a better life as we see these three pathways. And we begin to say, okay, what if the Lord defines? What if, what if God actually defines who you are? So the three pathways to formation, this outward understanding where we begin to have people on the outside begin to communicate who we are. And I want you to get, when you begin to look external to you and you begin to say, okay, I am who I am because, um, because I'm a, in, in a family context or in a community context. So we get this even in our, our biological families or even uh, families that we form like sororities and fraternities. And this is who I am and this is what defines me. Ultimately, this is not going to help you as you go forward. And we've talked about this idea of this inward reality, that our freedom to escape social roles and responsibilities has the byproduct of forcing us to forge our own self-understanding on our individual success. And this freedom places an enormous amount of pressure on us, and it creates worry and anxiety, and, and we struggle to know how to deal with it. And then we get to this place being able to say, what if there's something else? There's something that begins to point towards not something that we create, but something that we discover. And here's the, here's the things you have to choose. Am I going to create my identity? Or am I going to discover my identity in something that's outside of me 
and outside of any other person. And in this, what we begin to see is these two options begin to define how we point our validation outside of ourself. Here's what I want to point us to, to be able to understand that when you begin to see this understanding of faith being able to give you an identity and God being able to give you an understanding of yourself and your worth, it gives you a durable sense of self. And it's this moment that we, that I want to, I want us to look and say, can we challenge that you, that you can't be rational and you can't be intelligent and have faith as the foundation for your life. So I want to go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, here's what it says. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, this is the gospel. The gospel is not that you did something to achieve something, but you got the gift of God's son, Jesus Christ, who lived a life that you were supposed to live and die to death, that you were supposed to die and gave you the gift a gift of acceptability. So now you are a child of God and that begins to define who you are and it, be, be able to, it defines how you see yourself, that you've been given something and that gift that you've been given through Jesus helps you to understand the very sense of yourself and it also gives you the sense of your worth, that you're the heir of God and you begin to have both of these things. Now I understand who I am and I understand why I have worth, and it's not based upon someone else, but it's based upon something else, and that is God himself. And in this, God gives you a sense of self and a sense of worth, and you begin to experience this, and you begin to have this place where you find yourself in God, and you find yourself not in something that is internal to you, but something that you can actually worship, and you're made to be a worshiper. You're made to look to something else outside of yourself, and this is ultimately what makes the most sense in our hearts and we are his children and when that begins to sink in and the love of God begins to flow through our lives it begins to radically change how we believe ourselves and what we begin to see in ourselves but we begin to have these struggles begin to say okay but I still have these desires and so if I have a sense of myself and I have a sense of my worth and I begin to understand that this is what God did because he was so deeply, uh, had such a deep love for me. This is where we begin to see how it begins to change our lives and how we begin to, to walk through life with these different urges and these different expressions and these different things that are desires in our heart. Here's what Ephesians 4, 22 says. It says this, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Here, here's what he's saying. He's beginning to help us to have clarity that there are these desires. And we said these are contrary and changing, right? They, they, they contradict each other and they're changing. And so what happens in this 
is that we begin to see the rationality of faith by beginning to say, okay, there's a God who is our creator, and that creation of us gives us inherent worth, and then God defines for us and helps us to understand, hey, you have these impulses, and some of these are good impulses, and some of these are bad impulses, because there's part of you that has the mark of, of sin, and it's your corrupted part of you, and it is, it, it is me that can help you to be able to understand the difference between the destructive impulses that you have and the constructive impulses that you have, that allows you to have a life of meaning and purpose, and it allows you to begin to understand who you are and how you thrive and flourish in your life. And to do that, you have to understand that there's going to be some things that feel like the right thing. There's going to be some things that feel like the desires, and you're going to say, I just have to express them. But when you begin to say, okay, what does God have to say about this? It begins to help us clarify who we are from not just our internal place and not just external place, but from an upward place. And we begin to see this play itself out in this beautiful beautiful way. And this leads to just so much health as we begin to see this reality where we become people that are not insecure and fragile, but we begin to have a confidence in ourselves. We begin to have an understanding of ourselves, both in a sense of saying, I have confidence in who I am because it is not something I earned. It is not something I did, but a gift that I was given. It is something that God did towards me. But we also aren't just these arrogant people because we have this humility and this idea that I'm, I'm someone who is corrupt. I'm someone who has these issues. And in this, what I can understand is that I can live this humility in the same way because this is a gift of God and my identity has been given to me, not earned. And so I cannot be, I, I cannot be someone who's arrogant, but I also am someone who is secure. And this is a, such a beautiful place when you can live your life and you can have both confidence and humility. This is what strong people look like when you have confidence and humility. This is what it looks like for you to live a life where you have a sense of self that is strong. And that sense of self allows you to be buoyant in difficult times and allows you to go through um, incredible highs and not believe that this is everything and I've created this on myself. And some of you are going to be incredibly successful and you're going to do things. And whenever this begins to sneakily change your identity, if that thing is ever taken away, that thing's going to crush you. That, that confidence that you had is, is going to be shaken. But when you begin to find yourself outside of yourself in the identity in Christ, this is, again, what creates stability and happiness and satisfaction. And so when we begin to ask, okay, how is it that we have these, these external things that are happening in the culture. How is the, the guy from Seattle and the Anglo-Saxon, how do they deal with that? Well, they take those impulses, and instead of looking at the culture and saying, hey, the culture is shifting, it's all over the place, how do I look to the timeless word of God and begin to ask, what do I do with my uh, sexual attraction? What do I do with my aggression? What do I do with these impulses? 
because we have the sense of being able to say, well, our, our culture is so much more advanced than it was 800 years ago. But I want you to understand it's just a cycle happening over and over, replacing one dark thing with another dark thing. And those things begin to not bring us into a place of saying, I'm a fully realized human. I'm living in, in the deepest part of my, all of these expressions of my desires. But if you follow your desires, they're going to lead you to destruction. But if you say, I'm going to follow my Jesus. I'm going to follow God as a rational, intelligent person, being able to understand that as I do that, I can experience all the things in life and be able to have a coherent understanding of who I am. This is confidence, and this is security. And I want you to get this. This is what originality looks like. This is what creativity looks like. This is what people who create movement look like. That we see the very early Christians, that they began to say, I'm not going to let all of these things define who I am. And they began to do something because their identity was not based upon what other people thought or a sense of being able to say, hey, are we culturally appropriate in this? But they began to say, does this look like God? And if my identity is secure, then I can begin to move towards this in confidence. And it started a movement called Christianity. That over and over, originality, there's story after story of these people, when they begin to actually be original, it's when they begin to actually not care what other people thought. But I want you to know the only way to do that is to begin to care what God thinks. And I would submit to you that this is the most rational, intelligent way for you to be able to navigate And if you're struggling to figure out, should I move towards this? Should I embrace a spiritual posture? Should I embrace what this looks like? I want you to understand that you can do this as someone that's living in a modern world and actually have a functional way and worldview for you to navigate that makes sense and that's durable and that lasts and that doesn't put you into a tailspin of worry and anxiety and allows you to know who you are and allows you to know what you're worth. Because God defines that. Don't let the outward, don't let the inward look to the upward. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would take and you would show us so clearly what it looks like for us to take and not allow our identities to be formed by anything else. Not allow our identities to be formed by those who are outside. So Lord, I pray that you would just continue to fill us out as we're people that like the movie, think uh, we forget who we are every 15 minutes. Continue to help us to understand what you think about us and continue to make that the loudest voice that we hear. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.